Lord. We love it. If you're not, well. Luke chapter 22. I want to begin reading in verse 28. The Bible says, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sit you as wheat. But, but I have prayed for thee. How many believes that prayer matters? Amen. Amen. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When you get over the hump, when you get back from where you're about to go, when you get back up out of the pit you're about to fall in, I want you to strengthen your breath. Now, it, it, it's merely coincidental, I think, that, that the video and the announcement of men's conference carries this title because I didn't realize I was going to be doing that when the Lord began dealing with me in this vein. But, but it is convenient to kind of pull that title right on in. I'm going to preach to you for a little while today about the brotherhood. The brotherhood. Would you lift up your hands and voices? Give the Lord praise for a moment in His house. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege, the honor we have to lift up the name of Jesus. God, we're so thankful all to be together in your house, to be in your presence. Lord, we ask you to strengthen our brethren today. Lord, pour out your spirit in this place upon homes, upon families, and upon men that would stand for you. God, we pray it all by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. This particular passage of Scripture, just in case if you don't know, it, it, is, it is at the end or really still a part of the Last Supper. The last meal that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples before he'd be arrested and tried and killed and, and resurrected. It was that last time that he sat down with the, with the twelve, with those that he said had continued with him all through the, the things that he went through. You know, these are the guys that had been there through the thick of the then. There were plenty of crowds that came to hear him preach and teach and to eat the lunch that he provided, but but they weren't there tonight. They, they weren't in that room tonight. These, these were the men that had been there through the thick and thin. These were the ones that had heard every message preached. They'd seen every miracle performed. And we even know from the Word of God that they themselves performed miracles in His name. These are the guys. These are the ones that were closest to Him. But things are about to change for them. Things are about to change dramatically. Things are about to get much tougher than what they have been. After all, they've been walking with Jesus. They, you know, every time they got hungry, he just makes some food appear. And, and every time that somebody got sick, he could just lay his hands on them and heal them. And every time they got in trouble, God would just seemingly get them out of their situation. But things were about to get tough because the Lord was about to die. 
He was going to ascend into the heavens. But embedded in this story about Jesus and, and the twelve, embedded in this story of, of, of the Lord's interaction with all twelve of his closest followers, is also the story of Jesus and just one. Just one. The ever-known Peter. Peter was the ever-impetuous one. The one that was always first to open his mouth and most of the time insert his foot. And this was the one that probably got his, his wrist slapped more than, than anybody else. That, that was Peter. But it was also Peter that, that walked on water while everybody else watched from the boat. That, that, that same Peter is, is the guy that we're talking about here. And, and in the midst of everything that the Lord is, is transferring to them and telling them about what's going to happen, Peter gets his very own prophecy. His very own personal message. The Lord looks at him basically and says, Peter, the devil wants to destroy you. The devil wants to take you out. The, the, the enemy of your soul has you in his crosshairs. But also, Peter, I pray for you. I've already sought the will of God for your life. Peter, the voice of the Almighty has been lifted up in your defense. Because, Peter, you're not going to be a victim on my watch. You're not going to face this battle alone as long as I've got anything to do with it. He says, I'm praying for you, Peter, so that you can make it. I'm praying for you that so when you, when you fail, you can get back up. I'm praying for you that your faith can stand strong. Even though you're about to go through a tough spot, you're going to be converted. Praying for you that you're going to come back. I'm praying for you that everything is going to be all right. Now, now, many of you may know Peter's response to this prophecy. Like I said, he was the one that very often was the first to put his foot in his mouth. He said in verse 33, he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He was contradicting the word of the Lord. I'm not denying you. Nothing could make him. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Tonight, Peter, everything that you said, every intention that you had is going to come to a mess. Because before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Now, Undoubtedly, the enemy had already been after Peter for quite some time. You know, sometimes the enemy of your soul knows things about you that you don't know yet. Obviously, the enemy saw something in Peter that he felt was a threat to him. That must be because Peter was the one that would stand up on the day of Pentecost. And open the door of salvation to, to all of mankind. The enemy knew something was going on in Peter's life. You need to realize today that when hell comes against you, they might know something you don't know yet. The enemy had been out of Peter for quite some time. And after all, it was that Peter that when he began to rebuke the Lord, Jesus looked at him 
and call him Satan. Get thee behind me. But in these same verses, our Lord Jesus draws the focus onto the nature of the real attack. I mean, he, he probably has thought at this point, I've been attacked before. I've had the enemy get up in my face before, but Jesus makes sure he knows what he's talking about because he says your faith is about to be put to the test. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, but tonight, Peter, tonight you're going to deny me. And so then if you keep on reading in that chapter and reading in a couple of other Gospels as well, you will see that the drama begins to unfold. It is the passion, as we like to call it. The, the, the meal concludes. The Last Supper comes to an end. And, and then they would go out from that meal and they would make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus would pray as the Bible describes it as, as pouring out sweat like great drops of blood. And he would look to those same disciples that were close to him, but, but they weren't able to pray with him. They would fall asleep and, and, and they, would, they would be out of commission for a while. And, and, and when all of this came to a conclusion, the arrest party would show up at the garden. The, the priests and the soldiers and the police, basically, would show up and take him into custody after Judas, one of his closest followers, betrayed him with a kiss. The drama begins to unfold. The scripture does show us, however, in verse 54, it says, Then took they him and led him and brought him to the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. Now, it would look like Peter's making good on his word. I mean, Jesus is in custody, and, and the Lord's already said, You know, I'm the one you want. You just leave it be. None of these other guys got arrested, but everybody else ran somewhere. And now here's Peter kind of following in the shadows behind the arrest party all the way up to the high priest's house. It, it would look like he's making good on his word. I mean, everybody else is scattered and ran and hiding, but, but there's Peter standing strong. Everybody else is ducking for cover, but here's Peter like a ninja, you know, stealthily following the Lord to make sure that he can keep him in his sight. Verse 55 says, When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were sat down together, Peter sat down above them. He's in the courtyard. He's right there at the house. He, he, he's not hiding. You know, he's, he's not hiding behind a bush. He's not around the street corner peering around. Everybody's no one's coming. He, he's there in the courtyard warming himself by the fire. I, I wonder what he's doing. I mean, Maybe he's plotting his next move. I don't know. Maybe he's planning the great rescue. Maybe he's trying to figure out how can I intervene in this situation. Who knows what was going through his mind at the time. But we do know this. He's alone. Well, I, know, I know there are people that are there. There are others that are gathered in the courtyard. But not Peter's friends. Not those that he's close to. Not those that he's acquainted with. Not those that he stood there and watched miracles performed with. There's, there's nothing here that says Peter and James and John were standing in the courtyard. It's just Peter. He's kind of proverbially all by himself. There's other places in Scripture that 
They kind of tell us that, that John may have been in the vicinity. He would, he would have been there potentially there in the house or in the building because of some family connection that he might have been able to escape being arrested in some way. But out here in the yard, Peter's just alone. Of all the followers of Jesus, he's the only one that's there. Just him and his thoughts. But then, Scripture says, verse 56, but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. Gigs up. He's been recognized. So now he's in that moment of, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? I mean, we're, we're sitting here in, in the courtyard of the house where Jesus is under arrest. If I'm part of this party, then there, there's handcuffs waiting on me too. She, she draws everybody's attention and says, hey, I know this guy. He was with Jesus too. And in that moment it says, and he denied him. Saying, woman, I know you not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about the space of one hour, apparently they must have believed. Another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned looked upon Peter. Then it happened. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. How would you feel? It wasn't just this quiet revelation that you had by the bedside night. You there The face of the Lord turns toward you the moment that the cock crows. All comes flooding in, and you realize just what you've done. Just a few moments ago, just an hour ago, Peter was the only courageous one of the bunch. He was the only one that was standing strong. But now he's turned his back on the Lord. Now he is the guilty offender. So now what? Now what? How does Peter respond? Next verse, verse 62, says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now I don't think this really this is hard to understand. I think any of us would have the same response. You've realized you betrayed the Lord. They, they were probably all, all bad-mouthed Judas just a little while ago for selling him out. But all of a sudden, 
here's Peter unwilling to even say he knows who he is. Peter had to be thinking things like, I'm no better than Jesus. I've denied the Lord. He goes out, he, he runs away from that, from that, that gathering of people and goes out and weeps bitterly. But you see, there, there's nothing really revealing about going out and crying. I mean, who, who wouldn't cry? Who wouldn't weep? Who wouldn't be upset at what they had just done? I mean, after all, don't we cry when we go to the altar and repent? Well, I understand everybody's emotional makeup is different, but I have a hard time sometimes believing some folks' repentance when when tears never fall. I'm not saying it's impossible. Don't get me wrong if you're not a crier. I'm not saying you got to pour crushed tears for hours and hours. But the truth of the matter is, if you really believe you're lost, if you really believe that you're a sinner and you're unworthy of God and you're on your way to the devil's hell, it's going to do something to your emotions. It's going to do something to your mental makeup. And when you find your way to an altar, you're going to be crying out to God, God, forgive me for what I've done. It's not all that surprising. But what is revealing is the setting that Peter is now in. Because now Peter is alone. Just two hours ago, he was standing shoulder to shoulder with his ten brothers in the Lord. Just a couple hours ago, he was there saying, Lord, I, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to deny you. We're, we're all together, right, guys? And now Peter's all by himself. He's alone. Trying to reconcile the events of the day. He's alone. Here's Peter who's now a denier. He's now a sinner. He's now a lost soul. And he is all by himself. But remember, the scripture had said a long time before Peter, a long time even before Jesus came, it is not good that man should be alone. See, we, we live in a day, we live in, in, in a culture, at least in Western culture, I'm not as familiar with all the others, maybe that's their truth there as well. But, but it, it teaches and preaches and shoves down our throat this whole image of, of a cowboy. I'm not talking about the cowboy boots and the big hat and big belt buckle. I'm talking about this mindset of one man and one horse and one six-shooter run going off into the sunset to seek his own way. This whole idea that, 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 uh, that we are our own men, we can handle everything. We can take everything. We can figure everything out all by ourselves. We don't need nobody. We don't need no help. We don't want you to interfere with what we're doing. But there's not one stitch of that garbage that comes from Scripture. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, I know you Bible scholars know that that scripture was in the context of the Garden of Eden and, and God gave him a wife. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We see in verse 7, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there's not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, For whom do I labor and reap my soul of good? This also, this is also vanity, yea, it is sore travail. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, this is how you know we're not talking about the honey to live with now. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You know, there, there are some jobs in the world today that have enough of a danger level associated with them that men aren't allowed to work in isolation. Because there's a great risk of injury and there'd be nobody there to help them. I know it's not the case here in, in rural America, but there's a lot of big cities where, where police officers don't ride in cars by themselves. They, they've always got a partner in the car with them. Because they're in dangerous situations. And so if they get out and they're all by themselves, there's nobody to call for backup. There's nobody else to, to help them when the going gets tough. The Bible says that it is better for us to be standing shoulder to shoulder with our brother than it is to be by ourselves. And so now we go back to Peter. We have Peter sitting in the middle of the biggest trial, test, problem, persecution, whatever you want to call it. Sitting right in the middle of the biggest obstacle of his entire life. And he's doing it all by himself. But if you'll remember, when the Lord prophesied to him of his impending problem, he also prophesied of the solution. Because he said, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sit you as weak. But I have prayed for thee. Oh, wouldn't we think that'd be enough? Wouldn't we think that the Lord Jesus Christ saying that I prayed for you would be enough? The Lord says, when you get through this, I want you to strengthen your brethren. I want you to be right back with them. Now, I understand that, that when the scripture says, when thou art converted, he's talking about being restored to God. And I know there's an aspect of this that is all about him and his relationship with Jesus. You see, your salvation is always between you and Jesus. But Peter can't strengthen the brethren. Peter can't be any good to the brethren if he's alone if he's by himself, if he's not with 
his brethren. The enemy of your soul, the thing that he wants to do more than anything else, the thing that is going to be the first weapon that he pulls out of the quiver, he is going to try his best to convince you that you are by yourself. And if you're not, he's going to try to drive a wedge and cause you to start withdrawing yourself and making yourself by yourself. Amen. I've lived long enough to see it. There are those that the devil finds some way to make somebody mad at somebody in the church. Whether it's the pastor, whether it's the Sunday school teacher, whether it's the brother or the sister that said this or did that or didn't say this or didn't do that. Whatever it may be, all that he needed to do was to convince you, I don't need them. I don't need the church. I don't need my brother. I don't need my sister. And as soon as you withdraw yourself from them, he can have his way with you. Because there's nothing there but you and this old carnal mind that is the devil's playground. That I come to tell somebody today, if you'll make your way back in the circle of your brothers, if you will find yourself back in the house of God, if you will get yourself aligned with some men that can stand and pray and worship with you, you're going to make it through what you're fighting. Peter is the one dealing with this horrific sin. Who would ever get anything good out of his experience if he's forever by himself? He's got to be with the brethren if he's ever actually going to do any good to them. Luke 24 and 32, just a little, for, a little forward in your Bible. There's a couple of people that had an experience with Jesus and they're telling about it. This is after he was resurrected. Verse 32 says, They said to one another, Did not our heart burn with us? While he talked with us by the way, while he opened up to us the scriptures. They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together of them that were there with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now, if you're paying close attention here, it might even seem like this is a little contradictory. Peter's out here going through this junk. The Bible doesn't ever tell us really anything else about this event except the fact that it says it happened, that the Lord appeared to Simon. We don't know where it was, what he was doing, what they talked about. We just know that somewhere after the Lord resurrected himself, he appeared to Simon, to Peter. What that conversation was on. I don't, I don't know what it was about. Maybe it was, you know, Peter, I forgive you. Maybe it was Peter and everything's going to be all right. I, I don't know. But what we do know is who he's with. Because the scripture says, and found the eleven gathered together. Peter may have had a salvation experience with God all by himself, but that got him back in the presence and in the company 
of his brothers. John chapter 21 and verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the city of Tiberias. And on this wise he showed himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana, and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We go also immediately. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. That night we call nothing. But there, there's some other messages that can be preached about what happened that night. There's some other lessons that can be learned about what takes place in the next few hours after this trip. But there's something right here where we're at. And no matter what you're going through, and no matter what you're dealing with, and no matter what you're facing or feel like you're facing today, no matter how good it might be, or no matter how bad it might be, you need to know this morning, it is not God's will for you to face it alone. I know it's Father's Day. I know it's a day that we celebrate fatherhood. But being a dad's hard sometimes. Being a dad's tough sometimes. Sometimes you might be the only one thinking what you're thinking. You might be the only one feeling what you're feeling. And you're living in a world, you're surrounded by a culture that tells you and lies to you and says the only thing you're supposed to do is go put in 40 hours a week and go home and veg out in front of the TV. All the while we open these scriptures and it humbles us because we realize it's our job to get our lives and our children from here to heaven. It's hard to be a dad sometimes, but being a leader is not always easy. You don't know where to go. You don't always know what to do. You don't always know how to handle this and handle that. But I've come to tell you, you don't have to do it alone. Because you've got brothers. You've got them. They're sitting on these pews beside you today. They've been where you've been. They fought what you fought. They've overcome what's knocking you out right now. And God said, I've given you brothers in me to help you through the thick of the thin. It's not a complicated message today. That's all I've got, folks. My wife can come. But you need to know it is not God's will for you to be alone. It is not God's will for you to chart this course alone. Some of you don't know how to get right with God. But you got brothers to do. Some of you don't know how to get through where you're at in your marriage right now. You've got brothers that do. Some of you don't know how to pray your children that are lost back through to the Holy Ghost. You've got brothers that do. God said, Peter, when you get over this thing, I'm about to let you come to me. When you come out on the victorious side of this horrible thing that's about to happen in your life, Here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to go right back in there. Go find those ten brothers and strengthen them. 
you're saved, filled with the Holy Ghost today, and everything is going according to the will of God in your life, you and I have a responsibility. There are other brothers who need to be prayed for. I know not every brother is a father in the sense that they may not have biological children today, but we are all called to be fathers. Some people don't have sons that come from their blood, but they have it from the Spirit. Some men don't have children that are still living in this world any longer, but there are those that are watching them like a father to the Lord. They need to know how to pray, know how to touch God, know how to stand for truth and be a godly man in that godly world. Just stand with me this morning. The book of 1st Peter, chapter 2. Verse 15 says, For so is the will of God. He's been talking about a lot of good things that they ought to do. He said that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Verse 17, I know it's not the end of the chapter, but it almost looks like a summary to me. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. We have a church full of men today. Each and every one of you, God has called. Be a leader in your house. To be a leader in this church. To be a leader in this community. To be a leader on your jobs. To be a leader in your school. That when this world needs to know what a godly man looks like, they can look to you. When somebody in this world needs to know how to pray and touch heaven, they can come and find you because you know how to pray and touch heaven. When somebody opens up this Bible and they don't understand what it is God speaking to them, they can walk up to you and say, do you know what this means? You can say, let me tell you what God wants for your life. Every one of us, every one of us is called to that responsibility. I open these altars today, men, and women alike. If you're not ready to meet God, these altars are open for you. Come. He's calling to you this morning to repent of your sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus so that you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe things have grown cold in your life. Maybe you've, you've been sitting outside the courtyard for a while. Maybe you've been down. Maybe you've been bothered about where you're at and how you got there. And I understand everybody goes through it, but get back in the house today. Get back amongst your brothers and sisters of the Lord today. Can you touch God? Can you come make things right in the Lord? Let God do with you what He's called you to do. To come in Jesus' name.